What's What's up, witches? Hi, I'm Claudia. And I'm Jess. And welcome to True Crime Coven. So, hi everyone. I just want to say, first of all, I'm really sorry for the delay in part two being released. If you didn't listen to the outtakes episode, then to fill you in, we took an unscheduled break because we were meant to record part two of the Soen murders. And the week that we were meant to do it, in fact, the day that we were meant to do it, sadly, one of my closest friends took his own life. He was an amazing man called Ryan Chisholm. And he was actually someone who always encouraged me and kindly prodded me into channeling my interest in true crime into like a YouTube channel or a podcast. And so without his nagging, I probably wouldn't have ever gotten my butt into gear and started True Crime Coven. So I hope you now understand why we had a little unplanned break. My heart was and is broken, but I know Ryan would want me to continue this podcast. Listen through to the end for a list of numbers and resources to help you if you're feeling suicidal and depressed. I promise that you are more loved and will be more missed than you could ever know. Take care of yourself because the world does need you. In the description of this episode, I'm going to include the crowd fundraiser that Ryan's sister set up in his memory. The money goes to Heads Above the Waves which not only sells amazing clothing and accessories promoting mental health, but also uses the profits to create awareness and workshops for those suffering with poor mental health and self-harm. No worries if you can't donate, times are hard, but if you can, then that's amazing. And so, how are you, Jess? (laughs) After that little happy happy start. Well, no, I think it's good to make people aware of mental health always. Yeah. Um, So no, it's sad as it is, it's nice to have a reason to bring it up again and make people aware and talk about it yeah um but apart from that i think i'm good i've been really busy in our our, uh, impromptu break so uh yeah you've kept yourself busy you've been to see my chemical romance you're still growing a child yeah went to watch my dad wrote a porno as well another good podcast very 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 different to this one yeah yeah (laughs) It sounds um, like it would be. Yeah, yeah. But no, I would recommend if you like a good comedy podcast. Okay, um, I've actually not listened to it, so... Yeah. No, it is, it is very funny. I've had to stop listening to it in public because I laugh out loud. Oh, yeah, I do yeah. that with podcasts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how have you been? So obviously I wasn't great and I yeah. still have moments of not being great, but I went to a really lovely wedding this weekend. Yeah. It was this beautiful, it was in like this beautiful place in Wales. It was just fairy lights everywhere and they had like tarot themes and they had a neon sign that said till death. And like, it was just really like ethereal, gothic, spiritual, fairy tale kind of wedding. It was just beautiful. The bride looked phenomenal. I was going to say, in the video you just showed me of it, her dress is insane. Yeah, and she had this amazing like headpiece on and just... It's so good. Yeah, it was a really beautiful wedding. It was a festival, so it was two days long. And it was just probably a nice, yeah, we stayed in the tent for two nights. Nice. I've uh, got a blow-up mattress, so <laughs> literally <laughs> on the floor. But yeah, it was a nice break from reality. Yeah. And you and Mikey scrubbed up well, too. Oh, thanks. So congratulations <laughs> on that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So I guess, should we get into murder? <laughs> yeah, on that, that positive note. I did. Obviously, we were going to release this two-part episode. mm consecutive weeks obviously that unfortunately hasn't happened so i did today go back and listen to 
part one just to refresh my memory <laughs> yes yeah. and um if you haven't listened to part one then you're gonna have to listen because this yeah. isn't gonna make any sense yeah and i'm not gonna go and, back through a 40 minute episode <laughs> no unless you know the case very well then yeah you might be able to pick it up but, in which case yeah. why are you listening to part two <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no definitely go back and listen to part one so trigger warning obviously child murders yeah unfortunately rape and sexual assault that of minors and i do mention miscarriage briefly but i, okay. I don't go into any, any any but i just didn't want it to catch people off guard yeah so a brief catch up holly wells and jessica chapman went missing in the summer holidays of 2002 they were 10 years old and sadly their bodies were found 13 days later picking up where we left off ian huntley is starting to crack he's losing weight he's not sleeping he started taking antidepressants. Obviously, no shame in that in no. itself. No. And police were starting to put all the pieces together. Not only had Huntley come forward as the last person to speak to Holly and Jessica on their way home from the sports centre, he had also continually inserted himself into the investigation, asking how it was going and what leads they had. On August 5th, they paid a visit to Huntley's house. Now, I believe at first it was purely to take a statement from him, as the apparent last person to see the girls alive. Despite no incriminating evidence being found, they became suspicious again at just how clean his house was, as in it was next level clean. Mm. The carpet in the dining room had even been scrubbed and was still wet with a lemony scent emanating from it. This he tried to explain away by stating that he had had a flood in that room. Additionally, several items of clothing hung on the washing line despite rain beating down. Huntley also appeared on edge and agitated throughout the police officer's visit. Officer Brian Farmer wanted to chat to the couple too, you know, get a few details to create more of a timeline of events. Farmer states that both Huntley and Carr were reluctant, which isn't what you expect of two innocent people during no. a double missing child investigation. No. Especially when they've come forward to say, "Yeah, we, we think we're the last people to speak to them alive. And suddenly you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk to you. Yeah. As mentioned in part one, the officers inquired about if the school had taught their pupils about stranger danger and not getting into cars with people you don't know. Maxine Carr worked at the school. Yeah. Carr confirmed what the headmaster had told them, that the school had had this conversation and teaching with its students. So Farmer asked Carr, as someone who knew the girls, how she thought Holly and Jessica would react if a stranger pulled up in a car and tried to get them to climb in. Farmer stated that this is when the interview really took an odd turn. Before Carr even had a chance to answer the question, Huntley spoke over her, stating that Holly would likely comply, whereas Jessica would, quote, fight and go mad. Bear in mind, Huntley said that he doesn't really know the girls. Yeah, and the question wasn't aimed at him. Yeah. And Farmer yeah. distinctly remembers thinking, how can he know? Yeah. And yeah. Again, this is a man who's not really meant to know the girls. He would have no reason to know them well enough as to know how they would react in such a situation. Yeah. And it's also kind of That's... like very weird to sort of... It's, it's just weird. Also, like on a separate side note, I hate when people answer questions for other people. Yeah, especially... But I know, and I'm not, sure, I'm not just sure if that's, like, my job. Because <laughs> yeah. when, when you're trying to see if a patient's orientated and you're like, do you know where you are? And then their family starts answering and you're like... I'm not asking I'm not, you. <laughs> like, I'm asking them for Thank a you reason. you for being helpful. But. Yeah. <laughs> it was then that Brian Farmer first started to think that something just wasn't right about Ian Huntley. 
And so following his hunch, he began to ask more details about what had happened when he saw the girls on August 4th. Huntley told the same story about being outside washing his dog, who'd gotten muddy on a walk, adding how Maxine Carr had been upstairs taking a bath when Holly and Jessica walked past the couple's house. The conversation happened as previously mentioned in part one. The girls asked about Miss Carr mainly. The police went through this a few times, getting Huntley to repeat his story again and again and probing if the girls had said anything else, which he said that they hadn't. Mm. Something that struck the police as strange was that according to Huntley, the girls hadn't mentioned anything about the dog. Surely, two 10-year-old girls are going to mention a dog. That's probably why they stopped in the first place. They probably saw the dog, like... Or if they were to stop, they would have noticed the dog and then they would have been like, oh, you're our teaching assistant's partner. Exactly. Yeah. And I completely get this. Like, as a 29-year-old, I'm more likely to say hi to a dog than another person. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... As you know, I'm not ashamed to admit this. I have actively avoided some people in public just because I cannot be bothered to talk to them. But Yeah, but if they had a dog with them, I would be like, Whoa, stop there. <laughs> and that's the thing. Imagine these two 10-year-olds. They're yeah. definitely going to be like, oh, dog. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to... I mean, I'm not even a dog person. I'm a cat person. And yeah, I will say, I'm going to mention a dog, at least in passing. Yeah. And that's when Farmer thought to himself that Huntley wasn't telling the truth. And mm. what he was describing was a conversation that an adult would have, not one with two 10-year-old yeah. girls. And so why wasn't he telling the truth? Yeah. An incident was reported to the police by a witness called Marion Clift, which added to the police's suspicions. On August 6th, Marion Clift saw Huntley and Carr standing at the boot of Huntley's red Ford Fiesta, looking in. She stated that Huntley appeared pale and shaking, whilst Carr wept beside him. Upon noticing Marion Clift staring at them, Huntley hurriedly closed the car boot. Mm. Completely normal behaviour. Yeah. I always cry whilst looking in my boot. Yeah. Police were also interested in trying to find Jessica Chapman's phone that they knew she had with her on the day she and Holly disappeared. They knew it had been turned off on August 4th at precisely 1846, which is about half an hour after they are last seen on CCTV. Police had already been trying to get the phone turned back on by whoever had taken the girls, if it was the case that they had been abducted, by doing a press release where they stated they had left a voicemail and a text on the phone telling the abductor how they could end this now by getting in contact with the investigators and how to do so. Whilst they hoped this would spark a reply from whoever had the phone and hopefully the girls, it was actually more in hopes that they'd simply turn the phone back on so that it could be traced. Mm. Smart. Yeah. Smart. That's very smart. But they could tell where roughly the phone had been switched off at least. Mm. Now, normally phones in Soham ping to a certain tower, which was by the football club, yeah. with a few areas in Soham instead connecting to a tower a few miles away in Burwell. Jessica's phone pinged to the tower in Burwell, where it was turned off. Forensic telecommunications engineer David Bristow was brought in to explain to police why this was the case, and he determined that the one area that the girls would have walked that would serve the Burwell communications tower was right outside Ian Huntley's house. Okay, so if he was originally telling the truth that they had walked that way, that would check out. It would. But obviously now he's got some suspicious behaviours. And suddenly the phone, it would be a massive coincidence if he was suspicious and then the phone goes dead 
outside his house. Yeah. And then the yeah. girls disappear. Yeah. And when they were looking in their boot, was that the day after? August 6th, two days later. So two days later. after. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And the, like crying at your boot. Suspicious behavior detected by the police and neighbors now mm-hmm. as well. Exactly. Like, on August 15th, with Holly and Jessica still missing and the investigation beginning to slow down in terms of progress, a new lead, Superintendent Chris Stevenson, was put on the case to try a fresh approach. And it was this that identified Huntley to be a suspect amongst all the evidence they had compiled. I suppose one of those things just like fresh eyes, like everyone knew yeah. it was a bit suspicious, but this like completely fresh approach just made them go like, yeah, yeah. definitely actually. Especially because he wasn't initially a suspect. Yeah, and sometimes when you're within something, you can't see it, and then someone new comes along. And it's like, yeah, how did I not see that? Yeah. yeah, they look at the big picture rather than like the pieces you've been trying to put together. Yeah, yeah. need an outside eye. Yeah, Huntley became the focus of their attention. Finally, on August sixteenth, the day before the discoveries of the bodies of Holly and Jessica, twenty-eight-year-old Ian Huntley and twenty-five-year-old Maxine Carr were taken in by police for formal questioning, but not arrested, okay. and agreed to give witness statements. The couple were questioned in separate locations for around seven hours each before being placed in a safe house. Huntley once again told the story involving him washing his dog, and Maxine Carr told how she was in the house, in their bath to be exact, whilst Huntley's interaction with the girls out the front was taking place, effectively giving him an alibi. During his interview, Huntley appeared calm and collected, even sitting with his legs wide open in quite a dominant way, you know, mm, man yeah. spreading. Yeah. He stated that he didn't come into any physical contact with either Jessica or Holly, and that they didn't cross over into his garden or over the threshold of the property at all. Carr was being interviewed 30 miles away and appeared comfortable and animated in her responses. However, she was given a lot of information about non-essential things. Like, so she sat there and she's talking about how she cooks the beef for the Sunday roast the day before, so she's got less work to do. And it's okay. like, okay, but, we're talking to you about murdered children, stop talking about fucking beef. <laughs> like, yeah, like, were you even asked? Yeah, and it's on those things where they believe that she's trying to give lots of information. but To make it look like... But not really anything. Yeah. It's like, I'm telling you lots and I'm complying and I'm being really helpful, but actually I'm not telling you anything. Anything useful. Yeah. And also, it's a bit of a nervous thing. Yeah. Because I, for example, when I... I talk a lot anyway. <laughs> but when I'm nervous, I talk ten to the dozen because... Yeah. I have to feel those silences and I have to carry on Because you going. don't want the awkward silence. I am... Yeah. I'm insufferable most of the time, but when <laughs> I'm nervous, I can see people looking and I can feel it and I'm like, I can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really awful way, and I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. It doesn't mean I can talk to anyone, but hey. That's good. However... Carr's story of being upstairs in the bath was about to fall apart. A woman came forward to say that she had arranged a birthday event for around 10 close friends in two pubs in Grimsby on Sunday the 4th of August, and she was adamant that Carr had gatecrashed these parties. This was evidenced by photos of these get-togethers that had Carr in them. So how could she be in two places at once? Yeah. Places that were 110 miles apart, I might add. Yeah. So it's not like she was in the bath, quickly got dressed and was like there by 7pm. Yeah. She, was, she wasn't was in the bath at all. If she, she was, was in the bath yeah. at like 6.30pm and then she's got to get ready and all this, 
and like get a taxi of 110 miles away yeah it's just it's, it's not, not good no unless not. like i know sometimes parties start late but not that but no especially if they've gone to like a pub as well normally like pubs close around 12 so you don't get... especially on a sunday yeah how late is that pub open yeah yeah car story must have been a lie a fabrication and therefore so was huntley's alibi yeah all police had was his word that the conversation he had with holly and jessica had taken place just as he had said whilst they were being questioned at the station their home was being searched again being found in a meticulous state with all carpets smelling of lemon scented cleaning supplies keys to the hangar at soham village college were found in the home as well despite huntley originally stating that he did not have access to the area within the college despite being the senior caretaker like Mm. caretakers have to have access to keys of all the building yeah that's part of yeah part of the job job. yeah also like that's if you got locked out of somewhere you needed to get into a building the first person you're ringing is the caretaker yeah because they have the keys exactly and then that's why you've got a caretaker for big buildings that you're not constant because keys go missing different people have access to them and you're not then having to constantly call out a locksmith yeah oh god yeah and it's so that they can if there's a fire they can get in yeah if there's a flood they can get get in in. like yeah you are taking care of that building hence being a caretaker yeah literally that is your job description exactly but inside the hangar is where the police then found those matching football shirts cut and burnt that belonged to holly and jessica Mm. well belonged to holly and her brother yeah but they were wearing them when they just picked yeah and huntley's fingerprints were also found on the bins so, of course, he didn't want to say he had the keys to that place. Yeah. I mean, not that I'm defending him, but surely, like, if... I remember you saying, because obviously I listened to it today, you saying that, like, as we get into this, you'll realise that he wasn't, an in, like, an intelligent person and he hadn't really thought this through of what he was going to do. But surely he could have been like, yeah, I worked there. Of course, my fingerprints were on the bins. Yeah. Like, you think. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he wasn't intelligent. No, but that is very much coming more to light now that he yeah, exactly. didn't think his plans through before he no he really didn't yeah. and you'll see later on how he says things and then obviously chats with someone legal and gets a better story and remembers of that oh okay as if this wasn't incriminating enough fibers on the shirts match those found on huntley's body and clothing as well as those found at his house Huntley's car was also examined forensically, and it too was found to be spick and span, with the same lemony scent and even brand new tyres on all four wheels, which is kind of expensive. The lining of the boot had been taken out too, and replaced with a jagged cutting of household carpet. A cover from one of the rear seats was also missing. Huntley's cleaning skills left a lot to be desired, it seems, Mm -hmm. as traces of a mixture of brick dust, chalk and concrete were found along the wheel arches, as well as around and on the car pedals. This mixture would soon become crucial in linking Huntley and his car to the murders because it was subsequently found to be near, like the road near where the bodies oh, were discovered. okay, yeah. So obviously he'd driven down there, he'd gotten out, he'd walked on oh. it and then he'd put it all over the car. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the 17th of August, 2002, at 4.30am, Huntley and Carr were arrested on the suspicion of the abduction and murders of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. In contrast to his confident, man-spreading demeanour in his interview the day before, 
Huntley now appeared evasive and confused during his questioning. He refused to answer questions and even occasionally drooled throughout the interview in an attempt to feign mental illness, which is just so idiotic to me that, like, it's such a parody of a mental illness. Like, I yeah. can't really think of any mental illness. Where you would drool. Yeah, like, that's more like a mental disability. Yeah. Also, to suddenly develop that in a drooling. day. Yeah. It, not even in 24 hours, I might add, because this is 4.30 a.m. Yeah, like... <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, no, like, I'm complying with you. Like, yes, I was the last person to see them alive. Okay, well, we're now going to question you a little bit further and search your house and stuff. Oh, I'm suddenly ill and drooling. Yeah. Okay, yeah, all it's right. Just, it's, <laughs> it's just, it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, definitely. But unfortunately, police were still left with no choice but to refer Huntley to a mental hospital to undergo psychological evaluation. Because obviously if he said anything and they hadn't done that, it would just all be thrown out. Oh, God, yeah. It wouldn't be. Definitely. Yeah, you've got to tick all the boxes, haven't you? But it's just another way to delay things. Oh, yeah. And again, when we talk about things in his past, you'll see it as he probably thought maybe if he delayed it enough, it would work. However, during her interviews, Carr quickly broke and confessed to the detectives that she had been untruthful about her whereabouts on August 4th. And I guess when confronted with photo evidence, you can't really, like, say Especially much else. Especially because it sounds like they had such a story that they'd come mm. up with between them. There was no, like, like, it was like, you were in the bath, I was talking to the girls, this happened, then they went on their way. Like, that's that's the story. Okay, well, we have found these photos that don't match the story. Yeah. And as you said, they're clearly not the brightest buttons in the box no she probably was like like, uh uh, uh, can't come up with anything on the spot so yeah she finally told them that she'd Mm. been in grimsby and had only returned to Soham three days later on august 7th she had provided a false alibi for huntley as she stated that he had called her saying that he'd seen holly and jessica before their disappearance and told her the thing is maxine they came in our house huntley stated that holly had had a nosebleed and so the two girls had come into their home so that Huntley could help them stop the nosebleed, and that Jessica had sat on the bed whilst he did so. Then, once the bleeding had stopped, he claimed both girls left the residence. Due to Huntley's criminal past, which we'll get into shortly, he told Carr that the relating arrest in his past had caused him to have a nervous breakdown, and he didn't want anyone to think he was involved with Holly and Jessica's disappearance, and then place the blame on him, due to his past. Therefore, Carr agreed to concoct a story with her partner and provide him with a false alibi. So to her, she's saying, look, he told me, fuck me, the girls came in here, like, yeah, help me. Because if I tell them even the girls are in here, that's it, I'm done for. And she's thinking, oh, God, like, okay, yeah. You've you've helped them. You haven't actually done anything wrong. This is what she's saying. Saying, yeah. Carr claimed to believe the story Huntley had told her. And when informed of the discovery of the girls' possible remains, because they found them later that day, along with the ample evidence against her fiancé, she burst into tears and began to shout in disbelief that it can't have been him. Now, I'm side-eyeing this interview and behaviour because, remember, this is the same woman who also referred to Holly in the past tense in an earlier interview. Yeah. She states, when questioned about this during trial, that she did so because she taught them in the past. Okay. Which I guess checks out, Which... but I just sort of side-eye this woman massively. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I used to coach cheerleading. I still do sometimes. 
but I've like the kids that I coach, I don't talk about them in the past tense. I suppose you might do if it was years ago, like it was like, for you. Oh, or if they were literally like children and now they're an adult, I, I would be like, oh, she was such a cute yeah. kid, but now she's like but this a is pretty August. beautiful young woman. Like, yeah. Like, like, this is August. And what? Schools tend to check out, check out, check <laughs> out. Yeah. School terms tend to end in like what, June? Yeah. Because you June, get six July, weeks off. Yeah. So it's like. You get most of, you get all of August and then a bit of like July. Yeah. So they put it this way it's not like she's not seen them for years. Yeah. And. I can't remember what you said about her, but it was like, oh, she she was such a lovely girl. Yeah, something like, like that. She still is. Like, it's not like she's now an adult. And yeah. yeah. Like, you didn't... Yeah, you saw her literally probably a month ago. Yeah, or it's not like she was a lovely girl and now she's a horrible girl. Like, yeah. <laughs> like she hasn't changed that much in three exactly. weeks. By August 20th, the police had gathered enough evidence from Huntley's home, car and workplace to formally charge him with two counts of murder, which they did so whilst he was detained for observation at Rampton Secure Hospital in Nottinghamshire, with all preliminary hearings postponed until after the conclusions of his mental health assessment. Carr was charged with attempting to pervert the course of justice too. She maintained contact and professed her love and care for Huntley until December 2002, writing him several letters and inquiring about his welfare on a regular basis. Hmm. Stood by her man. <laughs> it's quite a while to stand by him as well through all of that. Like, good couple of months to still... Yeah. When he's dragged you down with him. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I mean... Love is blind. I know. <laughs> so, before we get on to Huntley and Carl's sentencing, I mentioned that Huntley had a criminal past. So let's go a bit into his life. Okay. Once again, you're going to be frustrated... Standard with uh, these kinds of things, I think, now. Yeah, limber up for it. <laughs> Huntley was bullied in school a lot, to the point where he had to move schools. Oh, wow. He would, in turn, cope with this by doing the classic thing of them bullying other smaller, younger kids. Mm, okay. He was seen as weird and a loner, you know, all the classic things that people say about those that turn out to be murderers. Yep. Reportedly, when Huntley was a teenager... He caught his dad, whom he looked up to, like many sons do. Yeah. And uh, his dad was cheating on his mum. His dad was apparently quite a stern man, and at being caught, he became annoyed and angry, which he took out on the adolescent Huntley, which criminologists believe could have been the point at which a connection was made between sex, relationships, infidelity, and violence within his psyche. Mm. I don't know, personally, mm. but I'm not a criminologist. I mean, I mean they literally I can, have more qualifications than me yeah. in crime. I get where they're coming from because at that age, he was probably starting to get those and starting to get those feelings and mm. then seeing his dad with someone who's not his mum and then yeah. he gets punished for it, for finding out. And you're going to start associating those things. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, I mean, obviously, still not an excuse for him. But Part of me thinks once a wrong and always a wrong him. Yeah. But then I don't, I do believe it's nurture, not nature, so. Yeah, definitely. At his dad's request, Huntley joined the Air Training Corps at age 13, which ignited an interest in a career within the RAF, which never came to be. Oh, okay. Huntley also enjoyed plane spotting, and through this hobby, he became familiar with RAF Lakenheath, where the bodies of Holly and Jessica would be disposed of 
in 2002. Okay. There's the connection. Yeah, I was going to say more links coming together. Huntley left school with five GCSEs and worked a procession of menial jobs. In 1995, 20-year-old Huntley married 18-year-old Claire Evans after just six months of dating. He proposed after two. Wow. However, the marriage only lasted about a week due to Huntley's temper and violence, the climax of which saw him beat Evans so badly that she suffered a miscarriage. Oh, my God. Yeah. Also, she then went on to marry his brother. I don't know okay. how that made him feel, though. That's a bit of a random one. Yeah. Um, I guess yeah. it's like, I really like you, but you're a bit of a shit. So I'm going to go with your brother. <laughs> yeah, because he's almost, he's she very similar type, to you. Yeah. <laughs> Also, just to go back to that relationship, that was a very whirlwind relationship to get yeah. married, to get engaged, married, and divorce and separated. And, well, and be expecting a child together, mm. lose the child, and then divorced all within seven months. Yeah, I was gonna say less than a year. In March 1996, Huntley was charged with burglary after he allegedly broke into his neighbour's home in Grimsby and stole electrical goods, jewellery, and money. However, this resulted in no prosecution due to lack of evidence. Huntley, more notably, had a history with young girls, namely establishing sexual relationships with those under the legal age of consent, which for the record is rape. Yes. Because they can't consent. Yeah. So there's no such thing as a sexual relationship with a 13-year-old. No. If you're 20. Yeah. They, that's rape. <laughs> yeah, they're not cons- a consenting adult. Yeah, they like, can't consent They are to that. still a child. I think there are things to say that like a 15-year-old and another 15-year-old 15, 15 can consent to each other. I remember in my child protection training at work there are things in place for that. It's not statutory rape anymore. Okay, yeah. But yeah, in this case it's, it's rape. Oh yeah, I mean if he's 20-odd and she was 13, that's, yeah. That's so wrong. Yeah, that. Yeah, and she, I, I feel like 13, you're starting to understand all those kinds of things, but you don't know. You're definitely a child. Yeah. You're yeah. not a young woman. I'm sorry, you're not. No, you are not. Three of the girls were 15, and one was even 13. Mm. And Huntley at this time is 21 to 22. And to anyone listening who may be th- like that age, yeah, and, you know, might have older guys showing interest in them and, and thinking that it's sort of because they're cool and mature and it's fine i promise you just please get out because yeah no normal guy or girl for that matter yeah in their 20s are going to pursue a relationship with an adolescent girl or guy and that's no bearing on how great or mature you are it's just not a normal thing to do and i promise you there's a reason why they're not able to date someone their own age and please if you're in that situation just stay away from them also i know people are like oh age is just a number and i'm like yeah it is but also you develop a lot between like 13 to 20 oh massively yeah that's the thing when you say age is just a number that's like between a 30 and a 40 year old yeah it's not between a 10 and a 20 year old yeah because that's yeah there's also a massive like there's more of an age gap between a 15 to a 20 year old than there is between a 13 and 40 year old oh yeah definitely more evident like it sounds silly but like the older i'm getting the more i realize that as well like mm. i am so different like i what or was so different between like 15 and 18 and then like 18 and 21 but actually yeah. there's like haven't changed that much since i was like about 24 now so and exactly yeah so just 
if you're listening to this and you're in any sort of situation like that, just please trust us as people who have once been adolescent girls. <laughs> yeah. That men in their 20s who pursue relationships with those that much younger are weird. So weird. And you'll glow up in your 20s. So, yeah. you know, you're... And you'll have you're, the best time. Uh, yeah, you'll be, way, you'll you'll be way out of their league. <laughs> anyway, one of the 15-year-old girls would fall pregnant and end up giving birth to a baby girl in 1998. Huntley was reported to the police on at least three occasions, but was not charged for his actions as each of the girls denied sexual involvement with him, refusing to file complaints or accept help from social services. Despite not being charged with anything, Huntley's sex life and involvement with young girls soon became well known, and comments were regularly made about and to him from neighbours and colleagues. And like, good. Because yeah. so many times they don't. Yeah. They and just like, like, good, I'm happy it. that people were like shits to him. Yeah. And were like, oh, nonce. Like, I'm so happy. Yeah. Like, yeah, you should out someone. I don't someone. support bullying, but I do support nonce bullying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're just like outing people for yeah. what they are. Like, like he, they're not, he's not going to get the criminal justice. So yeah, make him an outcast. Yeah. In April 1998, Huntley was arrested on suspicion of the rape of an 18 year old woman. He admitted to having sex with the woman, but told police that it had been consensual, and he ended up not being formally charged for this offence. However, just one month later, Huntley was charged again with raping another 18-year-old woman, and also beating her, as well as threatening to kill her. Huntley again stated that he had had sex with this woman, but it had been consensual. Charges were once again dropped due to a lack of evidence, and Huntley walked free. However, his sexual violence was now added to the town gossip about him, and this resulted in Huntley losing his job and having to move back home. He was also forbidden from initiating contact with his child or her mother. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Also, at what point do these charges keep getting brought up to him? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, well, there's not enough evidence. Okay, so all these women are lying, are they? I think that's, again, the thing you always see, though. Like, it's, yeah. it is hearsay because how do you prove things, especially because a lot of women don't feel confident coming forward about sexual abuse and rape. Mm. So but then, it's because of things like this, because yeah. they get blown off. And but then like... also, they don't come forward. And by the time sometimes they do come forward, it's too late to gather evidence from yeah. inside them. Also, that evidence is then discounted. Is not discounted. Yeah, discounted. Yeah. When... He then admits to having sex because then, okay, you can tell the difference between rape and sex. I know that because yeah, damage. Mm. I won't go too much into it, but it's on those things where it's, you then have to have more evidence that it wasn't just sex and regret. Yeah. Oh yeah. There needs to be, yeah. Um, A woman's word isn't enough. And that's obviously great that a woman's word isn't always enough when people are falsely accusing people. Yeah. But in situations but, like this, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I think especially when there's, if it was like one, he said, she said, it's hard, but there's literally two women that have outright come forward and said, I've been raped by this man. And then there's three other young. Four. Oh, four. Three were 15. One was 13. Yeah. Four others who have, admitted to having a sexual relationship with him yeah but not to police mm. yeah that's the thing yeah well but it's obviously well worse, known though. if that makes you feel oh yeah i feel not makes me feel so much better 
In July 1998, police were notified that Huntley had sexually assaulted an 11-year-old girl in September of 1997 and that he'd also threatened to kill her if she told her mum. Sounds familiar, threatening to kill someone. Yeah. He was never charged with this offence. However, he would go on to confess to it whilst in prison in 2007. Piece oh. of shit. That's a long time sitting on that, thinking about it before confessing to it. And finally, in July 1999, another woman was raped and Huntley was interviewed as he was now suspected to be a serial rapist. Mm. In this instance, Carr supplied Huntley with an alibi as well. They were together at this point. Oh my God. However, the victim stated she didn't believe it was Huntley who attacked her. And this is the only case in which a victim would not blame Huntley as the perpetrator. Except for the underage girls, but it was proven that it was true. Also, if you find out that your partner has raped someone or potentially raped someone and you give them an alibi, well, you are just as bad as them, the in my thing, opinion. Of course. But the only thing I'm thinking in this is it might be the one case where he was, I think he was picked up by police because they thought, they sort of knew he was a serial rapist but they could oh, okay. never had enough evidence to push that further yeah so they then picked him up for this rape and then the woman was like oh no that's not the guy okay so that might have been a real alibi yeah might have been let's give him maybe one tiny benefit of the doubt he doesn't fucking deserve it but... now the youngest girl that Huntley is known to have raped was just 12 years old at the time although as stated previously he had attempted to rape an 11 year old girl mm. too the one he sexually assaulted after his arrest for the murders of Holly and Jessica, several former partners of Huntley's would come forward to say that he was violent and domineering in their relationship, after initially presenting as charming in the early stages, which is classic of a narcissist and yeah. an abuser. He would control and restrict contact between his partners and the outside world, including with their family and friends. He'd also supervise any contact they did have. Wow. And if they challenged his behaviour or tried to leave him, he would emotionally blackmail them into staying with him. All classic signs of a narcissist Definitely. and just an abuser. Yeah. By 2001, Huntley was well known to Humberside Police, having been reported to them on 10 separate occasions and to social services five times. That's with the underage girls. I yeah. yeah. And now it makes sense as to why he didn't want it known that Holly and Jessica had been in his house. That's because mad. Even if it was so true, I know. Because even if it was true that he hadn't hurt them, this wouldn't have looked good in no. light of his previous arrests. Definitely. Interestingly, when he agreed to interviews about being the last person to see Holly and Jessica alive, he stated he would only do so if it was kept for local news only and not released to national news. He stated he wanted this as he believed it to be a local matter and therefore the information was only important to locals. Like, he thought they were still locally kept. Yeah. Now, I see this as one. He already knew that he had disposed of the bodies out of area. So he was trying to get everyone off his scent from exactly. the get-go. Yeah. But it's also thought this was actually to stop people coming forward about his previous charges, because other people in Grimsby knew, knew who what he, he was like. Was. Yeah. But if he I kept it local... So I'm assuming where he lives, well, lived then, mm. they didn't know about all this. No, not in Surham. No. But in 110, 110 miles away in Grimsby, they, they did. They all knew, yeah. So if it was national news that he was showing on. Then someone would have come forward and been like, actually, I think he needs to be a sus suspect because... You need to look into this guy and his... Yeah, because yeah. of his previous... Yeah. 
Clearly, he was trying to toe the line between inserting himself into the story, as murderers often like to, yeah. and also not having his past catch up with him. He wanted to have his cake and eat it. Mm-hmm. It's also such odd behaviour, because if you truly want to help find a missing person, I'm like, put this everywhere. Oh, God, yeah. I'm not like, just keep it here, because I think that's where it's important. It's also yeah. not his call to make that decision. No. He's not an investigator. No. And like, yeah. Shut up, sit down, stay in your lane. Once again as well, we have someone committing murder who has a whole history that has never seemed to land them in quite enough trouble. Mm. And it's so frustrating because to me, if, well, first of all, if he'd ever been convicted, perhaps Holly and Jessica would be alive and well and in their 30s with careers and families. That's always the frustrating thing, isn't it? When you look back and you're like, oh, well... Like, from this point of view, it's so easy to be like, oh, well, if this had happened, if this had happened, but obviously... But also, it just reminds me so strongly of Mark Dixie's past in the case of Sally Ann Bowman. Yeah. Which um, is, we covered in episode number three called She Almost Made It Home. And it it just makes me want to scream because it's one of those things where, like, had that person... Been stopped, yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that like from what we've just spoken about it seems like police really did want to get the guy but it was so difficult yeah so i'm not necessarily saying it's them it's just it's just still frustrating. especially as you said if there was like no evidence <sighs> that yeah. these poor women had been raped and it's his word against theirs yeah there was apparently nightclub footage of one of the 18 year old women but all it showed is them talking so there's nothing to suggest that she didn't I mean, you can go home willingly with someone and still be raped because just because yeah. you go home with someone doesn't mean doesn't you're consenting mean, and that no. you can't change your mind. But I mean, it's it was just, there's no evidence. Yeah. The fact that he got away with his abusive behaviour towards his ex-partners and with the previous charges against him relating to rape and violence against women only served to reinforce his controlling and misogynistic mindset and boost his confidence in evading consequences for his actions. Huntley was detained for two months at Rampton Secure Hospital, where his mental state was extensively assessed by consultant forensic psychiatrist Christopher Clark, who concluded that whilst Huntley was a psychopath, he did not suffer from any major mental or psychotic illness, nor had he been at the time of the murders or his arrest, and in October he was deemed mentally competent to stand trial. At the preliminary hearing hey, hey, on June 16th, 2003, at the Old Bailey, Huntley pled not guilty to the murders of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, but he pled guilty to the conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. Maxine Carr pleaded not guilty to this charge and to the charge of assisting an offender. I, I, I already... Obviously, I do know this case, but I feel like this is really going to come... Back to bite them in the arse a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> pleading not guilty to half of it, but guilty to that. Also, June, do you say June 2003? That's almost a whole year after. Yeah. Yeah. That they've dragged this out for. Every time I hear cases like this and you're like, God, it's taken so long to get to the preliminary There's just so hearing. much to get in, like so much evidence to gather though. Oh, I know. It's just and horrible for the families. That's what I'm thinking. It's like yeah. they're the parents of these oh, children. No, it's, awful. it's horrible. I mean, this is the thing as well. I haven't put everything in. Yeah. But I've put a lot of it in. Yeah. And that's only what is known to the public. So if you can imagine just how much 
else is out there. Yeah, that we'll never know. Mm. And every bit of evidence and every thing they've ever said in an interview, just everything that's got to be gathered and put out yeah. there. It, no wonder Ooh. it takes like a year. Yeah, where they had to gather all every piece of evidence to make sure that he actually got done for this Plus crime. DNA testing of fibers and stuff, which in 2002 oh, wasn't as rapid as it is now. No. Oh, so, and they yeah. have to speak to those former partners. They have to speak to police who looked into him with his uh, previous rape charges. Oh, it's just, yeah. just so much. Everything. And they probably wanted to look back at all the previous tapes of mm. when he was helping. Obviously yeah, you, in quotation there's just so marks. much to look yeah. through. The trial started on November 5th, 2003. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah so even dragged out even longer. And would last over five weeks. Wow. It was on the 17th of December, after deliberating for four days, that the jury returned a majority verdict of guilty on two counts of murder against Ian Huntley, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment, with a minimum term to be decided at a later date. This was decided to be a term of at least 40 years, which was set on the 29th of September 2005. So he didn't even get his like, minimum term until mm-hmm. three years later. Blimey. This means Huntley is not eligible for parole until 2042, in 20 years' time, mm. when he'll be 68 years old. And this doesn't seem like enough to me. No. 68 to me isn't old. No, You've still got not a anymore. lot of life. You yeah. Now, I will say it's unlikely that he'll ever get out. Yeah. yeah. And if he does, oh my God, he will not have a normal life because he will get killed. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, He's- I mean, you think of the abuse that he got pre this happening of just yeah. a little bit of local gossip and we will delve into what's happened to him in prison isn't, yeah like the gossip that wasn't even proved that it was him yeah but people just giving him a lot of grief for that if yeah if he ever comes out of prison yeah. he's not gonna be like no one's gonna give his him life a is house over. yeah no he's and not gonna get a job he's gonna be homeless and you're down the street well no. that's the thing we're probably gonna end up if he ever did get out, it would end up that taxpayers would pay for him, him yeah. to live somewhere. And yeah. it would just annoy me because you've got so many people who are homeless and are genuinely good people. Yeah. That's who, a whole different thing to yeah. get angry about. But yeah. <laughs> who don't get the same privilege because, yeah. yeah. Also, I just want to say, the jury returned a majority verdict. What? Someone not thought a, that he... Yeah, not a conclusive. Not unanimous. Yeah. But, you know, anyway... Carr changed her plea to guilty for a charge of perverting the course of justice, but kept her plea as not guilty for the charge of assisting an offender, and the jury accepted that she believed his claims of innocence, which led to her only being charged for perverting the course of justice, which saw her receive three and a half years in prison. She's since gotten a new identity, but she's had to be moved a few times because people have... So people have falsely identified other people as being her and attacked them. So she's not uh, safe. Okay. And yeah. yeah, a lot of the time it is worse to be a woman involved in a case like this. Yeah. Anyway, like you are seen as more of a monster because women are meant to have like a mothering instinct. Yeah. Plus she was a teaching assistant. Yeah, she knew the girls personally as well. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think that she had more knowledge and more involvement than she was charged so for. Just to play on that as well. 
there's one thing that's make, like really bugging my brain, which makes me think that she did have more involvement, and that's the neighbor seeing her look in the car boot and cry. Yeah, there's also and other of things the past which tense I thing, will also. She, she obviously i don't think she had anything to do with their murder no but i do think she helped him cover i it think up. she knew they were dead and i think yeah. she helped dispose of them yeah personally definitely there's also some other things that suggest that okay we'll get into well actually we're gonna get into it now because i just realized yeah. where we are so yeah uh, <laughs> let's go for it while, while we're on the subject <laughs> what actually went on in the house that day is still largely unknown because the only person who got out alive was huntley mm a notorious piece of garbage. I was going to say piece of shit, and then I thought it was harsh, but it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was harsh. <laughs> I think, yeah, a piece of shit is quite a nice, yeah. nice phrase to use. Now, earlier he said that Jessica had sat on his bed whilst he tended to Holly's nosebleed. Now, this is where I start to think he's not that intelligent, and he speaks to more intelligent people and, like... Yeah, gets yeah. a new story, changes yeah. it, yeah. During the trial... He told how he, Holly, and Jessica entered his bathroom to attempt to stem the nosebleed, which to me makes more sense. Yeah. Like, why would you go in a bedroom? You, yeah. If you were bleeding, we'd be like, oh, let's go to the bathroom and yeah. sort that out because there's paper and water. And, yeah. And which is why I believe that this is a story he came up with after counsel with his lawyer. Yeah. Whereas he originally said that they went into his bedroom, I think that was maybe to try and explain away any DNA the police might find of Jessica's on his bedroom. Bed- yeah. Do you know what? As soon as you said that he said Jessica sat on the bed, mm. I was like, because in my head, my logic was, well, obviously you go to the bathroom. Yeah. And then or even- the kitchen. Just or like the kitchen, yeah. But even of like if, easy to clean surfaces. Even if they had an ensuite to their bedroom, why would you use that bathroom? Of also, all- yeah. as and a then- 10-year-old kid, sitting on an adult's bed felt weird. Like, yeah, I never really went into. Like, I remember as a kid, like when you'd go to your friend's house, if you ever went into their parents' bedroom for any reason, it felt weird. Yeah, you would just stand there, like barely. Awkward. Yeah, so I mean, the only place surely she would have sat if they went in is on the sofa. Yeah, exactly. So I believe that he said that originally because he's like, I have to explain away why she was on but, the bed. Yeah, why her and DNA? Then when speaking to a lawyer, he was like. That makes no sense. You go to the bathroom. And also it's probably like, why are you mentioning the bed? They won't check the bed. Yeah. <laughs> so but now now that you've said the bed, they're going to look at the bed. So yeah. Exactly. It also served to create a more credible story of the accidental death of the girls. So Huntley states that he slipped whilst helping Holly with her nosebleed and had accidentally knocked her into the bathtub. So in my head, the way that makes sense is she sat on the edge of the bath and he's like grabbing towels and he actually knots her for whatever reason. Yeah. It still sounds like bullshit, but that's how yeah. I can see it happening. A tub which he stated was already filled with water as he had, of course, been cleaning his dog. But I thought he was cleaning his dog at the front. So I guess it could mean that like he was hosing them down out the front and then he was going to take them upstairs. Soaking wet, apparently. Upstairs yeah. to have like a proper bath. Mm, I mean, I don't like, have a dog, so I don't groom a dog, but I can't imagine... For a dog, you fill a full bath. Yeah, again, we don't know the size of the dog. I, there's just so many things. Either yeah. way, I think that this is one of those stories where part there's of it's lot. true, but obviously this part is him trying to explain something that obviously didn't happen. But yeah. I do believe that they were killed in the bathroom. Okay. And you'll see why. So yeah, he's saying that he accidentally knocked her into the bath. She hit her head and she's like, passed out whatever 
yeah. knocked out in the bath, drowning. It was then at this point that he panicked and froze, and Jessica allegedly witnessed this all happen and began screaming that he pushed her, her being Holly, mm. in an attempt to stifle her shouting. Huntley states that he puts his hand over Jessica's mouth and accidentally suffocated her. And then as he was preoccupied with Jessica, Holly subsequently drowned. Yeah. Now, I noticed a few things in this story. One, again, we've spoken about it before. It takes a while for someone to suffocate. Yes. How long is he holding his hand over that girl's mouth? She would and also nose. pass out. Yeah. She would also, I suppose, a man's hand compared to a yeah, female's face, though. But, yeah. Also, she would pass out before and therefore stop screaming. Yeah. Also, you can also, there's better ways to calm down a 10 year old, I believe. Also, if she's screaming, saying you pushed her and it was an accident, you're prior, like, I mean, this is basic first aid that you get taught. If you've got two patients and you don't know what's happened and one's screaming and one is quiet, you're not concentrating on the screaming one's one because got an they're airway. breathing. Yeah. You're looking at the unconscious one because you don't know if they are breathing or not. I or believe people yeah. panic, but I just, yeah. If you are looking, if you're watching a child drown and watching a child scream, you're going to go to the drowning think. one. Yeah. <laughs> but notice too how this story shifts part of the blame for Holly's death on Jessica. Yeah. Because he's sort of saying, well, if I hadn't been so occupied with you. I could have, yeah, she could yeah. have been okay. Yeah. And to me, that's like another further way of him as a psychopath. Even though the story isn't true, they start to believe their own lies. To him, it's like, oh, well, that's also, it's not even my fault that she died. Because if she yeah. had shut up, yeah, I then... wouldn't have. Huntley then stated that by the time his panic had waned, both girls were dead. And that his first coherent memory was of him sitting on his vomit-stained landing close to the body of Jessica Chapman. Which also seems slightly contradictory because what he stated he remembers happening seems pretty coherent to me. Yeah. So... When asked why he didn't contact emergency services after once again becoming coherent, Huntley stated that he didn't know if the police would believe the deaths of the girls to be accidental. And let's be honest, this is probably because the evidence at the scene would point to it not, not being. being. Yeah. And it's also because, in my opinion, I believe the girls were sexually assaulted, mm. given his history. Probably, and yeah. had the bodies been found fresh... Sorry for the use of that word. I don't know yeah. what else to use. But had the bodies been found in a better state, yeah. they would have been able to prove and that yet he had... they'd have more evidence. Yeah. Exactly. Didn't you say the bodies were found like partially burnt as well? And so. like in a state of decomposition in a heat wave, apparently is like the hottest summer that oh, detectives really? can remember. Wow. So, so they yeah. were not in a good state. Now, I read contradictory things, which is weird because so much of this is so linear and so easily laid out yeah but one contradictory thing i read was that there was evidence that one of the girls may have been sexually assaulted but they couldn't confirm it because mm. of the state yeah but then they also repeatedly say that they weren't and there was no evidence of it but then they refer to the fact that because oh that, that was, was the, the chair, chair. <laughs> but then <laughs> they bumped. also refer to the fact that because they were so decomposed that they couldn't rule it in or out okay so but I personally believe with his history and yeah. everything. And I also believe that's why he said that Jessica was on his bed because. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. I believe they went through an ordeal. 
Also, when we talk about Jessica sitting on his bed, it's important to note that Maxine Carr returned home to fresh bedding. Mm. Um, despite her saying herself in a police interview that Huntley was no good at cleaning. Okay. So it's so unlikely he would have just like... Changed the bedding because it needed. Especially because he was abusive and controlling. Like, yeah. Why is he going to be like all caring and change the bed sheets? Yeah. She it's... stated that she originally thought that he had been cheating. And oh, that's why okay. it changed the bed sheets. Yeah. Now, it seems like there could be an element of truth in Huntley's story. And that is in as much as the killings taking place in the bathtub. Okay. As Carr would testify that there was a crack present in the enamel when she returned from Grimsby, which had not been there before her trip away. So Huntley had to include the bathtub in his story because... To explain the crack. That police were obviously going to... Also, how hard is he... I'm going to say this all in like inverted quotes here, but how hard is he slipping to accidentally push a child into a bath full of water mm. for it to crack it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just really not adding up no. to me personally. <laughs> it is believed that in terms of motivation, Ian Huntley acted out of sexual motivation. We know he has a history of young girls. Yeah. One as young as 11 years old. They were 10. And so in short, he was and is a paedophile. Mm. With a criminal psychologist ruling him as a latent predatory paedophile. However, with his past, how latent was his paedophilia really? Yeah. And perhaps something that makes his case even more heartbreaking is that it is believed that the murders weren't premeditated. It was just a case of Holly and Jessica by chance walking past his house... Wrong place, wrong time. On a day that Maxine Carr wasn't there, so there was and, no one to stop him. And he'd just had that Chance. urge. Yeah. That, yeah. I was going to say sexual urge, but I even, yeah. Yeah, it's, oh, it's disgusting. Ugh. And that sort of concludes it. So I will just mention that Ian Huntley, thank fuck, has had an awful time in prison. Yeah. He has tried to kill himself numerous times. In fact, he tried to before he even went to trial. Wow. Uh, by stockpiling his antidepressants mm. he has been burnt and i know that a lot of the time in prison they burn by adding sugar to it so it yeah. sticks to your skin Ooh, he painful. has also had his throat slashed although it wasn't enough to do any real damage so yeah he has had an awful time in prison yeah. as he should and pedophiles tend to not do very well in prison no especially let alone double murderers yeah i was gonna say yeah murderers. people who've murdered children and pedophiles and yeah, people who have um, actually acted on those sexual thoughts of children as well. So, yeah, he They is... don't do well in prison and... No. Good. And as you said, he because of that, he won't do well in society no. if he ever gets I out. I think even for his own good, they'll just keep him in prison. Yeah. And yeah, I hope he rots in there. Yeah. However, one good thing to come out of this was that... So, when Ian Huntley applied for the job at the college... Yeah. He, he did so under a false name. Okay. He did, however, state his name. He was previously known as Ian Huntley. And back in those days, there was no such thing as a CRB check, now known as a DBS, DBS check. Yeah. And after this, there was an inquest into how he got the job at the college. Mm. And finally, things were sort of strengthened up a bit in safeguarding. And now you have to have a CRB and a DBS check to work with children, vulnerable adults, Sort of anyone who's deemed to be at risk. Yeah. And I think a lot of jobs like them regardless. Yeah. And like, Ian Huntley, remember, he had previous charges of yeah. rape against him with 18-year-olds. I'm working at a college. That's a, 
Yeah, that's like prime age of people attending. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that is one good thing that came of it. Unfortunately, it was too late for Holly and Jessica. But yeah. hopefully that has saved numerous lives. Yeah, definitely. I'd like to end on a quote from Leslie Chapman. This is about Ian Huntley. And mm. I think it just sort of sums up what we all feel in this case. So mm. my heart goes out to the parents. But Oh, God, yeah. I think Leslie Chapman hit the nail on the head when they say, I think he was a time bomb waiting to go off and both our girls were in the wrong place at the wrong time. I hope the next time I see him, it will be like we saw our daughters and it will be in a coffin. Oh, that is powerful. Mic drop. Yeah, that is a great quote. Yeah, and I I hope so too. And I hope sooner rather than later. However, I hope he suffers a bit more actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a few more throat slashings and (laughs) boiling waters. An eye for an eye in the world would be blind, but you know what? Paedophiles don't count in that. No, and also I think the saddest thing of this case, obviously Holly and Jessica Mm. sadly had their lives taken from them way too young. Yeah. But also like that 15-year-old girl who had a child with him. Yeah. The 11-year-old. Yeah, imagine, imagine having a child at 15, but also that person then having groomed you into raping you mm. being 15 not having any help from social services yeah like i know she turned it down but again that's probably just a result of him grooming her yeah into believing it probably wasn't completely her own choice no into believing that this was the right thing for her and also that baby if they knew who oh their father God. is yeah and just in general everyone he ever hurt yeah yeah as you said there was many many people that we've and known about that yeah come forward yeah as you said he worked in a college mm. that was his prime age for those other rape victims who's to say that he didn't rape someone else when he was there and they just haven't i just hope forward. he didn't i really hope yeah so yeah that's uh the disgusting case yeah of me and yeah, very prominent one from our childhood. Yeah, I rem- I remember. Obviously, we put the photo on our Instagram page mm. when we put the first episode up. But yeah, I remember it so clearly. Vividly. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening this week. It's been a hard one, it's and been. sorry again for us being late and bringing the episode out. Stick around, um, and we will be shouting out some hotlines. Yeah. But for now, guys, stay, stay spooky. <laughs> Hey guys, if you have a ghost story or a case suggestion, please email us truecrimecovinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at truecrimecovin or on Instagram and Facebook where we are at truecrimecovinpod. Also, it would mean the absolute world to us if you could rate us wherever you're listening to this right now, be it Spotify, Apple Music, or if you're on YouTube, give us a little thumbs up click that bell get notifications every time we post subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from make these two witches smile (laughs) (laughs) thanks witches okay guys so i really hope you're all looking after yourselves and just know that there will always be someone who cares about you and wants to listen to you but if you don't feel comfortable going to those close to you there are professionals on hand day and night to help you You can call Samaritans. This is for absolutely anyone and they're open 24-7. You can call them on 116-123 or you can email them if you prefer. The email address is joe, J-O, at samaritans.org. 
You can also get in contact with Campaign Against Living Miserably, also known as CALM. They are open 5pm till midnight every day of the week. To get in contact with them, you can call 0800585858. There's Papyrus for people under 35. You can call them on 0800 068 4141, 9am to midnight every day. You can also text them. I know many people prefer that. 07860 039967 or email them pat at papyrus-uk.org. That's Pat, P-A-T. If you are under the age of 19 and you have any worries or want to speak to a professional, then you can also contact Childline. You can call them on 0800 1111. The number will not show up on your phone bill. And lastly, there is the SOS, Silence of Suicide. This is for everyone. You can call them 4pm to midnight every day on 0300 1020 or you can email them, support at sossilenceofsuicide.org. You can also message a text line. The Shout Crisis text line is for everyone. You just text SHOUT to 85258 and the Young Minds Crisis Messenger is for people under 19. Text YM, that's YM for Young Minds, to 85258. I promise you, and I speak from experience, you are more loved and you are more cared for and you'll be so much more missed than you could ever know. Don't give up. No. Always talk to someone. Okay. Please. Don't keep it to yourself. Look after yourselves, guys. <laughs>